episode that if you've looked on your itunes you see it's not many because it's like a half hour of matt and brett left comics i am yeah. white uh and i'm matt little this episode's kind of like uh kind of like when you go on halloween when you would go up to someone's house and you were expecting to get the little kit kat and it turns yeah. out this guy is like surprise kids i yeah. got you all king size kit kats because and you're like, he's sugar a lonely man yeah or like the guy that you shouldn't go to his house yeah yeah no no this guy's really cool he yeah. uh, i mean he licks his lips a lot and that's yeah, weird yeah. but like he always gives me really good candy he has a full animatronic set of Chuck E. cheese dolls in his garage yeah yeah he to took to me in there place. and he said it's he, he said that you get a better experience if the garage uh, door goes down first. no well uh, okay anyway <laughs> uh we but we have dark things in our past this is a really special episode because we have our very first ever comic book creator on the show ah! Amazing. We're real people now. Uh, yeah, so this is a new special thing we're going to be doing. This is uh, this is being released on Monday, and this is a nice interview with Chris Robertson. Chris Robertson. Yeah, I have, for some that's reason right. in my head, I just call it Roberson. I have no idea if that's how they pronounce his name at the panel that I saw him in. Possibly. In New York Comic Con, and just stuck. Well, I thought it was that as well, yeah. just by looking at the name, and then uh, he, he corrected yeah. us and said it was a shorto, yeah, which is... A... You'll hear him correct, because I don't edit anything out. But anyway, it's a great interview. Uh, really, much thanks to Chris for calling in and also with us is kevin hines yeah. who if you are uh in the new york city comedy improv scene you will know because he has been on all the best teams at yes the ucb theater yeah kevin is a kevin's a really great comedian he's a very analytical comedian and person in general he's uh he's one of those guys that's really great about pointing out why things are funny and and he knows how to make things funny because he knows how to do that yeah also it doesn't help that he gets saddled with not saddled blessed with teams of goofballs oh yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He's usually, he's always the, well, not always, but he's the guy who does a really great job of being like, are you kooky kids? Yeah, it's great. <laughs> uh, it was really great talking to Chris. Who he was fantastic. Is, who, uh... We talked to him for iZombie, uh, issues one through six, which we'll be talking about on Friday's episode, yes. which is the other half of this interview. And we had the fortune of talking to him in the midst of him becoming an internet celebrity. Yes. So Chris had uh, initially agreed to do the podcast about, uh, about a week before we got him on. And in the intervening week... All of the things that you know about him now exploded. Like the yeah. day after he agreed to do it, the sort of controversy came out about him announcing that he would no longer work for DC or Marvel once his uh, once his yeah. work for hire work on Ferris would yeah. be completed. Uh, so if you're expecting to hear insight on that, like I mean, you'll hear some insight, but we're not a heavy hitting journalism. Uh, yeah, yeah, we weren't we were looking to we weren't looking to if if I think if we were looking to sort of muckrake or or really pull out talking points and 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 stuff like that, we would have released this oh, yeah. almost immediately. immediately. And if we're going to do that to anyone, it's going to be Nicole Dressel pumping her for information about what Tina Fey is really like on set at Thirty Rock. That's for right. The couple days that she was there. What does Jane Kirkowski smell like? Ooh, <laughs> Describe it in Nicole, detail. Tell us now. Uh, yeah, I enjoy this interview. With me, Matt, and our guest, Kevin Hines, talking to our other guest, Chris Robertson. Yeah. Uh, first half of the interview is, is going to be talking about uh, just a lot of general comics talk, general uh, creativity talk. And, and the thing about Chris is he's a guy who's been around the block. 
Yeah. He's a guy who has seen almost every side of of the publishing industry. So he has a lot to say about these things. He's not just a he's not just sort of a freelance creator that was like, "F the man, I'm yeah. going to yeah. do my own <laughs> he has thing." Actual reasons and actual yeah. uh, stuff to back it up with. Yeah, he's a uh, he's he's very well spoken. Yeah. He's uh, he has a lot of really really great uh, opinions and and he cares. He cares yeah, a lot exactly. about all this stuff too, which is I think why he spoke out. He knows that there is a better way to do it and the fact that it's not happening uh in in and he, and he stood up and said something about it is uh is not something you see that often anymore yeah. sadly enough yeah so now uh enjoy our interview where we ask goofy questions and just talk about stuff guys uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh way to way to really sell it yeah this is this is what you get when you listen me being weird uh, <laughs> uh yeah enjoy and we'll see you later Today we have Kevin Hines, one of the uh, most awesome members of the Upright Citizens Brigade uh, comedy oh, wow. theater. Yeah, I'll Easily. say that. I'll yes. take that compliment. Yeah. That's you great. might have seen him on Fwand if you were around in 2006, 2007. Sure. My favorite improv team ever. Mine as well. Thank you. I uh, love and also that team. currently on the Curfew. That's right. Uh, every, every Saturday night at 7.30 in New York. Awesome. If you're not in New York, don't worry about it. Yeah, don't. And also, like, if you're not in New York, you can't see them, because yeah. it's only in this one theater. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so. Uh, and also today we have an awesome special guest on the show. Uh, this, is the first, this is Matt and Brett Love Comics History. Ba-da-da-da-da! Yeah. Uh, Mr. Chris Roberson. Or Roberson. I should have asked how to pronounce your last name before I introduced you. Well, honestly, I'll answer to anything. It's a short O, uh, but I don't take umbrage. Okay, sure. good. Great. Awesome. Well, welcome. Uh, you might know his work. Uh, currently the writer of the amazing Vertigo series, I Zombie. Yes. Uh, and also the IDW publishing series, Memorial, uh, both of which are thoroughly amazing. Uh, thank you for coming on the show, Chris. Happy to be here. Excellent. Uh, great. So I think we're just going to get started with just like a general chat about like your uh, work and stuff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you said you were based in Austin right now, right? At the moment, yes. Yeah. Uh, why, I think we just discovered, just, uh, discussed this, why is everything you write set in Portland and Oregon area? Well, there's, there's a short answer and a slightly longer version. And the short answer is that's where uh, both my collaborators, both Mike Allred and his wife Laura uh, on iZombie, live currently in Eugene. They keep oh. moving to oh, different right. parts of, they were in Portland for a while, on the coast for a while, back to Portland and then back in Eugene. And then uh, Rich Ellis, who's the artist on Memorial, lives in Portland. Um, so that's the short answer. The longer version is that um, I'm never very specific about settings. Uh, <laughs> a little, uh, you know, it's not something that's really high priority for me. So I think originally with iZombie, in my head, I was thinking about setting it in Colma, California, just yeah. south of San Francisco, which is an entire town full of uh, uh, graveyards. Um, <laughs> that fits. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Um, and there's a really weird little indie movie musical called Coma, uh, which I had seen, which is okay, but for some reason fascinating to me. <laughs> um, but when I suggested the, the idea to uh, our editor, Shelley Bond, she told me that uh, Allred really wanted, really had always wanted to set a book um, in Eugene. Would that be okay with me? And I said, sure. I don't really have any strong affinity one way or the other, so we can make that work. Um, then she contacted Mike and said, uh, Chris really wants to set this book in Eugene. Is that okay with you? 
So did you get played? It sounds like you might <laughs> Yeah. It was it was north of a year before either of us realized it wasn't the other guy's idea. <laughs> Shelly sat in a high backed leather chair just drumming her fingers together. <laughs> yes. Snow White cat, right? What is it about uh, so, what is it about Oregon that attracts all these creative types? Because like Kurt Busiek's out there, right? Yeah, is Kurt uh, Busiek uh, out there? I think somewhere in that area. He's in the Northwest. Uh, Rob Nyer, a favorite, my favorite like sports writer, lives out there. Like a bunch of writers I know live all in the Northwest. All of Dark Horse is based in Portland. Oh, is that it? Yeah, yeah. Dark Horse is. I mean, not. It's just some sort of creative vortex. It's like sucking in all these very talented people that I enjoy. Yeah. Well, to, to be honest, like um, aside from the sucking part, like that's that's really <laughs> one of the main reasons we decided to go is that um, just an enormous part of our social circle that we see when we travel or conventions or on the internets lives in Portland. And yeah. so it's a place we could move that doesn't occasionally catch on fire when it gets windy like Austin does. <laughs> yeah. um, but where we would move into a place where we already knew a hundred people and, and um, wouldn't have to talk to the neighbors. So <laughs> we went with Portland. Is there, what, is there a com- comic book community in Austin? Like what is it like there? There, there, there's probably I'm a little spoiled, so um, I say there's not much of one, but that there's probably on the order of at least a dozen or more working comic professionals in Austin, which is probably pretty high per capita. Yeah, uh, sure. You're, there, you're beating out Wisconsin. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you beat out Wisconsin and Wyoming, probably. Yeah, yeah. I know that. I mean, there's some there's some entire regions of the country where there's like one guy yeah. just by himself. <laughs> here's yeah. a here's an important question. You're moving from Austin to Portland. Do you have a place that makes good tacos in Portland? God, this is this is one of the things I'm wrestling with. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm they my favorite local chain, which started as here in Austin, which started as a as a food cart like four years ago, and now has six outlets all over town. Just opened up uh, an outlet uh, literally around the corner from my house, oh. so I could at any moment just get in the car and within five minutes be back home with great tacos and i'm moving away from that and um that's a little hard so is this a diet is that what you're moving for i'm sorry I'm, <laughs> no, no i just have a severe weakness for tacos. Okay. yeah i would i think i would move to stop myself from eating at certain places that would be the only way to stop me yeah. like if i live near like a shake shack i'd have to move yeah it'd yeah. be huge <laughs> they open a five guys near where i work and it's killing me yeah why would you do that they're, yeah. they're destroying me i'm getting so fat awesome uh <laughs> Also, I I noticed there's a recurring theme of uh, monkeys <laughs> over everything. I was, you, uh, Monkey Brain is the name of your uh, corporation. Uh-huh. Your, yeah, and then also Mr. Chimps in iZombie. Yep. Is like so. What is where's the fascination with monkeys come from? Uh, monkey, monkeys make everything better. That is true. Uh, I agree with that. that. Yeah. yeah, I think that that's the answer is in the question. It's pretty obvious. Yeah. 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 It's a fun word to say. Too. You're building your 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 goal. I think right is to have enough stories with monkeys in them so that there are one million monkeys in your stories, so that they can eventually all write Shakespeare, right? And then yeah, and just pass me the checks, and I can stop. I can take a break for a little while. There you go. <laughs> That's the American dream. Write a million monkeys to write William Shakespeare for you. I'm working on it. How did you uh, get started? Like, uh, what was your childhood like? Were you a big comic book fan back then as well? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I grew up in the suburbs in Texas, um, and uh, I, I realized I was stealing this quote from somebody. It took me a long time to remember. It was uh, William Gibson uh, from a, a documentary called No Maps for These Territories. But William Gibson said that um, 
his native culture was science fiction. Yeah. And that really resonated with me because growing up in the 70s, I mean, everything from uh, the, the biggest movies to the, the TV shows that we had to watch, uh, to the kids' books, to the comics, to the toys, were all like, it was all geek shit. It was all science fiction of one kind or another. And uh, comics seemed like kind of the purest distillation of that. Um, so it was really all I ever wanted to do from the age of six onwards. Once I realized I could not actually gain superpowers and fight crime. <laughs> no matter how hard you tried, don't stick give your up. head in a microwave. Well, yeah, don't, don't yeah. give up. Don't give up on that. Yeah. <laughs> Keep trying. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I used to say that I, I spent years perfecting the secret identity um, <laughs> and then neglected the other half. Uh, <laughs> the other half's supposed to just happen, I thought. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. It hasn't happened to me yet. No, but I, as soon as well, I discovered, like, or so you tell us. Yeah, yeah. I, what's yeah. this mustache? Yeah, what's about? up with this mustache? <laughs> uh, my evil cousin uh, from another dimension. Um, yeah, like as I discovered, the, I was a big fan of the X Men, and I was like, oh, wait, you get superpowers when you hit puberty. So as soon as I turned like thirteen and started getting really intense migraines, I was like, this is the power <laughs> coming, guys. Yep. This is it. Yeah, this is it. Never <laughs> happened. I just got made fun of more. That's not a superpower. That's my burden. <laughs> See, I always just thought that stuff was cancer. Like, whenever... <laughs> Superpower or cancer? <laughs> That's the thing is, like, the, like, radiation is the... It's either, like, one of the treatments for cancer or gives you superpowers. Are there any superheroes that get superpowers from chemotherapy? Is this getting way too dark? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, chemotherapy gave uh, Captain Marvel the strength to fight Thanos one last time. And yeah, oh, God. Death of Captain Marvel, right? Oh, man. Uh... <laughs> It's a real life superpower, right? Sometimes, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it works. Yeah. So I guess like that type of childhood definitely explains explains everything. Because <laughs> uh, I, I was just reading the first two issues of Memorial today, and I was like, this it feels like a timeless, uh, like you know, fantasy story that I don't know. Is there there are some things that seem like they just like have always existed, and the writers just channeling this story, and I feel like Memorial feels kind of like that. Like it just feels like a timeless classic in a way that's just now being published uh like well i mean in, in large part things like memorial i mean uh, um you know iZombie has a more um kind of immediacy and, and kind of contemporary vibe to it with memorial what i was trying to do was to recreate uh the feeling i got from those kinds of stories when i was a kid yeah um but do it in a way that you know kind of filed off maybe the rough edges of some of those stories i enjoyed as a kid weren't so great um yeah. So yeah, so that's very flattering for you to say. Yeah, uh, how long like was it? How long is that idea of was the the maybe the modern and the memory? Are those the three? Yeah. I just read it today, so I'm like, yeah. Uh, how I mean, how long has that idea been floating around in your brain? It took me about eight years to work out. Oh so wow! From the, from the original um, like germ of an idea to okay, this is how I can make it work was right about eight years. And and during that process, so like, because uh, we're all we are all creative struggling types. creative people, yeah, yeah, um, struggling to varying degrees. Yeah, so 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 <laughs> during that during that time, um, yeah, maybe let's let's talk about this. So from the time that you had the germ of the idea, did you ever try to approach it and it didn't work, and you put it away for a while, or uh, how did you how did you finally arrive at it? Was it just sort of a, a eureka moment, or? No, no. I mean, it's definitely the former. I mean, it was—it's a continual process of of uh, reapproaching and refining, and then rejecting all of it. So, like every few months, I would attack the idea again and spend a lot of my free time scribbling away in notebooks, 
um, and would construct really kind of elaborate structures and then decide it all sucked and put it away. <laughs> and then a couple months later, I would come back to it. And typically, it, it is kind of this Darwinian process where, like, the little bits and pieces from the last version that I still liked yeah. a few months later would stay in. And then I would build it up again. And so the funny thing is, is that after that, like, li- probably the bulk of that work was over the course of the first seven years or so. The last year was just tweaking. But for the first seven years, it was that continually, like, rebuilding this entire giant edifice and then destroying it all, keeping a couple of bits and pieces and starting again. And what I ended up with was really, like, one step away from where I'd started. <laughs> it was the right step. Yeah. That makes sense. Yep. It just took me all that time to figure out what it was. Uh, was it always a comic book, or was it a novel at one point, or was it you just didn't know until you got closer? It was well, it was a, it was a story, really. I mean, yeah. um, in terms of form, when I first started working on it, I had just uh, broken in as a prose novelist, so yeah. it seemed the easiest, uh, you know, the path of least resistance was to make it a novel. Um, but there was nothing specific about the story that was married to the form. So that by the time I finally figured out what the story was, I'd spent several years as a comics writer, and it just seemed like a better fit for comics by that point. Yeah, because I mean, just reading it, uh, it's, it's a complex mythos, and the visual definitely helped me follow, especially when you're using words like maybe as like yeah, a yeah. land. Yeah. If I was reading that in a book, it, I don't know, uh, uh, it's hard to envision, obviously, without seeing it, and you'd write it differently. Uh, but it, it made it easier to grasp the world as yeah. a comic. Well, it's easier to write, too, because then the artist has to do all the hard work. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, because the artist is the one who's like, wait, I have to draw, maybe? Okay, okay, thanks. Yeah. Well, most of, my, most of the memorial scripts usually include uh, notes of apology to the artist. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, you need to make those public somewhere, like back matter of, a, of the exactly. trade paperback. <laughs> yeah, yeah, here's, here's my list of apologies. <laughs> Sorry, list of, guys. <laughs> apology footnotes. Yep. <laughs> Great. You've uh, worked with amazing artists, though, right? Was was Cinderella one of your first things? Uh, okay, so this is weird. Um, so I spent, it took me 18 years to break into comics. So 18 years of submitting, going to conventions, you know, trying to hang around. Um, the first thing of mine that got drawn uh, for publication was drawn by Neil Adams. Jeez. So, uh, no, no pressure. Uh, the second thing, that I actually written the second thing first, but it got published second, had a cover by, by Brian Ballin. Jeez. And then the third thing I did was drawn by Sean McManus. Yeah, that's right there already amazing to me. And yeah. you got Mike Allred doing it. You got Kaluta yeah. covers. I mean, yeah. yeah. Um, that's nice. So the, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so here's the bad news for everybody else. Um, I'm, half, I'm half convinced that I'm just drooling in a corner somewhere hallucinating my entire life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In which case, all of you guys are just kind of epiphenomenon of my, you know, malfunctioning unconscious. Well, I think we're all technically part of the glass snow globe in the last episode of St. Elsewhere, though, aren't we? Yeah. Oh, this is true. This is true. It's everything, yeah. (laughs) So that's where we have to look for the answer to the mustache. Yes. That's the mustache is from St. Elsewhere. There you go. Oh, geez. Uh, Well, yeah, I've... I'm just now starting to try to break into comics, so I I, I now I have a time frame now. So this is good. Yeah. <laughs> On yeah. the order of two decades. Yeah, that's fine. Uh so you you also um you'd also started out as a publisher yourself, right? Well I you know, I became a publisher I, I learned the skills of publishing because I could not successfully break in <laughs> to publishing. Sure. Uh, um 
and to learn basically so I could self-publish myself, but then realize that that was kind of a waste of time and money because no one knew who the hell I was at that point. Um, and so then just decided to use those skills to publish books I wanted to read um, <laughs> and then started Monkey Brain Books in 2002, I think. Yeah, I love as a publisher, you're like, ah, no one would buy me. <laughs> I was not a big enough name for me. Yeah. <laughs> Get up every day, look at the mirror, and go, "Who?" Yeah. Nope, not today. Nope. It's like giving notes about your own appearance. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe try this. Yeah. Uh, Maybe lose the mustache. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> you might be rejecting. Oh. Yeah. I love that now my mustache is now immortalized in podcast form. It is. That's not really. There's probably a picture in show notes or something. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, how? Okay, so when did you find out that Neil Adams was drawing the first thing you're getting published? Like, was that a, like, okay, we gotta go out to dinner. Like, we have to celebrate? Or, like, I feel like that's gotta be a huge moment. Yeah, how do you, how do you process that news? <laughs> it was really weird. Um, yeah, I just got an email from the assistant editor that, like, if this is okay with you, you're gonna be drawing this thing. Yeah. But the thing is, is that uh, at the time... Um, Let's see, my, my daughter would have been a few years old. My wife and I were pretty broke, not as broke as we've been like a year before, but pretty close to we're going to lose our house. So there wasn't any kind of like bandwidth for a celebration. So it was yep. just a moment to shrug and say, well, that's unexpected, and then have to go back to work to do the next thing. Ah. Do you mind if a, a legend draws your comic book script? Is that okay? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I guess that's okay. <laughs> but then the funny thing is, you know, I got a note back. Uh, uh, it was an eight-page script, and I, I labored over it. In fact, I think I turned one in, and they said, you know, this one's not going to work. And so I went back and did another one that I, I felt good about, they liked. It goes to Adams to draw. He says, it's great, I love it, except you don't need page five. So I'm not going to drop that. <laughs> and I said, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Was that was that a uh, what was that a backup story in something? I don't even know. It what... was it was in um, an issue of House of Mystery, which was being co-written oh. by uh, Willingham and uh, Matt Sturgis. That point, and I probably read it and didn't realize. <laughs> I read. I think I've read most of that run by now. And I, I want to say it's an issue 13, but I can't swear to that. I've definitely read it. Uh, but it's a blur. There's a you lot of little, there's a lot of little stories in that series. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you had mentioned Matt Sturgis and, and Bill Willingham as well. Uh, you sort of have a, 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 a relationship as creators together as well. Uh, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how did that how did that come about? Uh, were you guys were you guys friends before comics, or did you sort of uh, bond trying to uh, various attempts trying to break into the industry, or, or how'd that come about? A little bit of both. Uh, uh, I actually met uh, Sturgis on the first day of uh, uh, freshman orientation at the University of Texas in 1988. Oh, wow. Nice. Um, and uh, I had scraped off the, the Chuck Taylor All-Star symbol on the side of my shoes and painted a lightning bolt on in homage of uh, Matt Wagner's Kevin Matchstick from mm -hmm. Maine. Yes. <laughs> and uh, so Sturgis, who was a completely uncultured at that point, um, just said, hey, those are cool shoes. I, I thought you were going to say he had a, a, a bat that he had spray-painted and was carrying with him everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Sadly, no. <laughs> I, I educated him as quickly as I could. So um, he didn't know what they were, so I patiently explained that they, it was from a really great comic and you should read it. <laughs> and then we ended up uh, uh, being roommates later and uh, uh, palling around. And so he and I basically we had been together the entire time we were trying to break into publishing. 
And then we, in 1997, we met uh, Willingham, who was between comic careers at that point. He'd been kicked out, as he calls it. Well, he used to be yeah. an artist, right? He used to be a pencil. Yeah, he was a car- yeah. cartoonist. He was a yeah. writer and artist on things like Elementals. Yeah, yeah. 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 And he's based and, uh, in Texas. He completely destroyed his career and um, was living uh, in a hovel in Austin. Um, and so we we became friends because we had a, a mutual interest in writing. And uh, uh, William started a writing group that we were in. And so then, you know, as as Willingham redeemed himself with things <laughs> like Proposition Player and oh, uh, uh, the Thessaly miniseries that spun off of Sandman. Yeah. yeah. Um, he he gradually kind of dug his way back into a career, <laughs> and he's he's just uh, an in, endlessly generous um, uh, and selfless dude. And so he's managed to get virtually all of his friends into comics at one point or another. Yeah, because between the three of you, you've written essentially the Fables universe. Yeah, between Fables, Jack of Fables, and the miniseries, like yeah, I think, yeah, all three, yeah. yeah, yeah. I loved Proposition Player. I just that's a great book. I, I just. Uh, Spe- I, last night, I think when we were, go- I was going to sleep. I was telling my wife about it. That's I was like, I got to tell you about this comic I read seven years ago. Whenever it came out, <laughs> and because she's my wife, she listened politely yeah. <laughs> and said, "That sounds good. I'm going to sleep now." <laughs> the funny thing about that book is that it's it's a, the the setup is such a crazy thing. It's a guy who makes his living playing poker uh, on his own money for casinos, but actually, Willingham did that for a living. Wow, uh, really. You know, yeah, Willingham is a total card shark. Because so he actually made his living and supported himself as a proposition player in Las Vegas. Wow, that's crazy. That's <laughs> yeah. So what? Uh, I'm trying. I'm having a hard time trying to process actually having that lifestyle. Yeah. So does He's he have like a? Dude, Willingham. I like that guy a lot. Does Does he have a? Does he have then like a collection of like Hawaiian shirts and visors and and sunglasses to keep his? Uh, he, I've never played against him seriously. Just playing against him for fun uh, is a daunting experience. Yeah, so I've actually it. never yeah. seen him really commit to it. Wow. Uh, because even element. when he's just playing for, you know, pinning any stakes, he takes it very seriously. <laughs> got it. So. You got it. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Uh, I mean, what is the... I know you've been mentioning a lot of, like... You have a lot, a lot of projects coming up soon. I yeah. remember reading. Uh, like... Do you ever worry about running out of ideas? I don't know, because I, I feel like I'm a, I'm a sketch writer at the UCB Theater, and I have been for two and a half years now, and sometimes, like, I was trying to write today, and I'm like, I, none of this is funny, I don't know. No monster is, sc- this, no monster is scarier than a blank page and yeah. a blinking cursor. And it's like, I was like, I am never more down on myself than when I am starting to write a new thing. <laughs> it's like, I was like, uh, so, d- talk me through this, Chris. <laughs> well, uh, um... You know, I, I'll, I'll cite Willingham again um, because he has a really good analogy um, uh, that, you know, your reservoir of ideas isn't a well you're going to drain, uh, but it, it's a it's a bucket. And the quicker you empty it out, the faster it'll fill up again, but yeah. the faster you can fill it up again. Wow. I like um, that. And, and in fact, I find that like I don't have so I don't have problems coming up with new ideas. I typically have problems coming up with new ideas for the thing I need to have an idea for. Yeah. Um, I have lots of ideas for other projects that aren't paying me right now. But the <laughs> thing that, like, I have to sit down and write tomorrow, I, I don't know. I don't have a clue what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, but I do find that having more than one project going, more than one ball in the air or iron the flyer, 
means that you can kind of like just switch channels. So if one of them's not really working, um, just go work on the other one. And the fact that you've been working on the first means it'll be percolating away in the back of your brain. Yeah. Um, and so inevitably, you know, I, I find if you do that long enough and you have enough different things going that you're constantly working on, that the solutions will just present themselves. If you're stuck on one thing in the shower or just falling asleep, whatever the case may be, the solution for the one you couldn't figure out yeah. two weeks ago. Always times when you stuff. when you will not have a pen and paper handy or anything because you're in the shower or in the bed. It's like, curse you, brain! Yep. <laughs> yeah. yep. Got to keep that stuff And then I have to get up. Yeah. Uh, uh, I have a question. Um, iZombie was your first ongoing book. Yes. Uh, so, and... I don't know, reading it and then reading Memorial, I was just wondering if you learned anything, because Memorial feels like the first series of a multiple series is, uh, and I was wondering if you learned anything starting iZombie, like, uh, I don't know, any, like, mistakes, like, you're writing iZombie, like, oh, if I could do it again, I would change this, so next time I do an ongoing, I'll do it this way. I asked that question really poorly. No, no, I, I told you, <laughs> and I, I have an answer. Good. Uh, um, I got through. The, mis- the mistake I made with iZombie, because everything I'd done before iZombie, uh, whether it was in prose or in comics, um, was for a, a set length. So, yeah. you know, I've written a bunch of novels that uh, were kind of in the same sequence, but they were all standalone stories, and then there would just be another story after. So the mistake I made with iZombie was to structure it literally as an open-ended thing with a rough idea of where the end would be and then kind of points along the way. Which was okay at first, but what the, I found very quickly was that because I didn't know how far away that endpoint was, um, I was constantly second-guessing pacing. Yeah. Um, right. And I, I would throw away entire scripts because they either moved too fast or not, uh, or not fast enough. Um, and I think if I had it all over to do again, which I basically do with Memorial, is I would structure it with um, the goalpost closer in for discrete stories and then have a general idea for what those discrete stories are adding up to. Oh yeah. So you wouldn't have that. So you wouldn't have, so you would not have an end point in mind. Is that what you're saying? For Memorial? Yeah. Yes. Awesome. But the the end point is, can be, can be reached at any point. Right. So what I'm doing now is it it comes down to the way that I uh, plot out individual issues as well. Because what I used to do is I would um, either writing longhand or, or typing just in a list, I would come up with the main plot points I wanted to hit in the issue. And then I would put them in order, make sure I had everything I needed to do. And then I would divide up the number of pages in the issue for that number of plot points. And so what that had the effect of doing was, in many cases, I had um, uh, misestimated, is that a word? Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Tonight it is. Yeah, the judges say yes. <laughs> it doesn't feel right, but I, I so I, I didn't have enough stuff to go in all the boxes, and so there would be scenes that would run too long, or other scenes would have to be too short. Yeah. So what I do now is I start from the first page, and is this page compelling? And then I keep adding new pages onto it in the outline until I get to the end. Yeah. Um, and then hope that I, if, if I don't get to an interesting spot, then I go back and see what I need to finagle. But rather than starting with the beginning and end and then filling in the middle, I, I start from the beginning with a rough idea of where I'm going and then build from there. That feels like a much more natural way of getting your story ideas out. Yeah. 
The way you first described sounded very mathematical. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah. like, comics well, It was math. literally math. Yeah. It was yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the engineer half of my brain got excited, and then the uh, creative side of my brain was scared. <laughs> Great, so I hope you guys enjoyed that uh, interview with Chris Robertson. I'm getting his name down. Yes. I said it almost... Normally that's on. Yes, that was part one <laughs> of our interview with Chris Robertson. Uh, a lot of a lot of really cool insight. Again, uh, we we came we came at it too because we're we're writers, not not necessarily comic books yet. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's gonna happen, guys. Right? It's gonna happen. Yeah, uh, but you know, we we also write as well. And I think when you're when you're talking about creativity and and writing and stuff like that, it, we're all sort of coming from the same place. You yeah. Know? And he had a lot of really really interesting viewpoints on uh, on. You know, just sitting down and, and, and making yourself do it, treating it like a job. Yeah, great. Uh, and also, if you haven't checked out um, Memorial from IDW Publishing uh, or iZombie, which it will be wrapping up soon, uh, please go on and do that. Uh, they're both exactly what I said in the podcast. They're great reads. And also, yes. the proof is in the pudding, guys. I can't believe I just said that. But, I can't. But they both make great either. cases for just create-around awesome stuff that's incredibly captivating, doesn't need 50 years of continuity behind it. Yes, and uh, this is coming from two guys who yeah, I mean, love I, superheroes. Yeah. I mean, I still love my superheroes, but also, like, the world that he creates with Memorial is quite fascinating. Yeah. And definitely, like, put your money where, where your mouth is. I'm full of cliches in this outro. Well, the guy... The <laughs> Go guy, buy this stuff. The Support guy it. clearly has a lot of really... <clears throat> interesting things to say not just in interviews but in his work as well and it comes through in work like like Memorial and iZombie and we'll be talking more about iZombie and Memorial as well in part two of our interview which will be coming out later this week so yes. uh, check that out you can check uh, you can find Brett on Twitter at Brett White just like it's uh, sounds except with two T's because sometimes there's one T. In yes, in Brett, not White. And I'm at the Matt Little with two T's and everything except the. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can, you saw what I did there, right? Yeah, that was good. Uh, you can head over to Facebook. We have a Facebook page. Like us up there. Let us know what you want to hear us talk about. We want to we we want to engage. Yeah, because otherwise we will just drone on and on uh, aimlessly. Yeah, which we'll we do are it. Awesome at. Yeah, we'll do it all day. We'll keep covering the stuff we love. But uh, if there's if there's something you'd like to see us discuss let us know we'll uh we'll do it up so until uh until later this week this yes. is matt and this is brad and uh and we'll see you with part two yeah of our interview with chris robertson <laughs> bye